Graham Spanier joins us on Sports Byline. He was the president of Penn State University when sex accusations against assistant football coach Jerry Sandusky came out. In a nightmare of false accusations and legal proceedings stemming from the scandals, Spanier has written a personal memoir about how and why the university and many individuals, including himself and legendary football coach Joe Paterno, were unfairly targeted in a miscarriage of justice. On March 24, 2017, Spanier was found guilty of one charge of child endangerment, but his conviction was subsequently overturned on appeal but reinstated in 2020. In 2021, he served two months at the county jail, followed by two months of house arrest. Spanier has written a book for anyone interested in the real story of one of the biggest scandals in collegiate sports and his personal experience as well. The book is called In the Lion's Den, The Penn State Scandal and a Rush to Judgment. Graham, tell me how you found out about the Jerry Sandusky accusations and your first and immediate reaction. Well, thank you for having me uh, on your show, Ron. I appreciate this opportunity to talk about the new book. And to answer your question, uh, in a very short meeting uh, one day in uh, February of 2001, more than 20 years ago, our then athletic director and the vice president who oversaw athletics on a day-to-day basis wanted to give me a heads up that they had received a report from an athletic department person, uh, no name was mentioned, that that this person was uncomfortable seeing Jerry Sandusky uh, in a shower uh, with one of his kids, but uh, he didn't know uh, what he saw, if anything, because it was indirect, very brief, a couple of seconds and around the corner, and he just uh, wanted uh, the athletic director to know about his discomfort. He told this first to Joe Paterno. Joe Paterno told it to the athletic director, the athletic director to the vice president, and then I heard about it. Uh, There was nothing mentioned about a sexual act or any abuse or anything criminal or anything other than that the person was uh, uncomfortable with it. Uh, We followed up. Uh, as best we we thought we should, and uh, that was the last I heard of it for more than a decade. Uh, That was how it started, and nothing happened until a decade later when uh, Jerry Sandusky was criminally charged, and it became a Penn State story, uh, a Joe Paterno story, more than even a Jerry Sandusky story. You were the president of Penn State for 16 years and also, before that, a well-respected professor. And there had been suspicions about Sandusky on and off campus for some time. Did you not hear of any of that? No, I never heard a single suspicion about Jerry Sandusky. Interestingly enough, almost all of my contact with the football program was with Joe Paterno, who I met with fairly often. I only had one discussion with Jerry Sandusky in all of my years as president of Penn State, and uh, that was a long time ago, about 25 years ago now. Uh, I didn't really know him, never had a personal relationship with him, and certainly never heard any rumors whatsoever. How did you process the context to the seriousness of those accusations? Well, we didn't. 
uh, attach a lot of seriousness to it because it was a very vague report. Uh, it was uh, we weren't told where it was or the time of the day. I don't think Tim Curley uh, knew at that point. Uh, it sounded like Joe Paterno had received very little information when he called the athletic director. So uh, we didn't have much of a suspicion. We were told it was a shower after a workout, and that was really the, the crux of it. Jerry Sandusky hadn't been affiliated with the university for a few years by then, so uh, we asked Tim Curley to meet with Jerry's then employer, the Second Mile Charity, which Jerry had founded, I think, back in about 1977, uh, we thought we were being very responsible by saying, hey, we got this report, uh, and let them follow up on it. What uh, we were concerned about was just the fact that if someone felt uncomfortable and there may have been a, a boundary issue, uh, you know, just showering with, they said, one of his kids, and he had uh, six, uh, I believe, six adopted children at the time, plus all of these uh, hundreds, I presume, uh, kids in the second mile. I thought the second mile was uh, teenage kids, so I, I had no uh, no information about the age, nor did I did I even speculate about it. We thought we were being super responsible, and that was the end of it. You know, it's kind of interesting being in the media and having been around sports and the media for a long time. I've seen stories get out of hand. Early on in this, Graham, when did you start to get concerned about what this story was going to be? Well, the moment that uh, that we heard through the grapevine of the university's general counsel that not only was Jerry Sandusky going to be charged, but that uh, our athletic director and our senior vice president for finance and business were going to be charged, then I became very concerned about what this meant for Penn State, and uh, certainly knew at that point that uh, this would be a story that that we needed to get out in front of and manage and learn more about what was behind this, uh, find out about this uh, grand jury presentment that we thought was coming out a little later. Uh, it, it, it was leaked early, so it created kind of a crisis when it came about. But unfortunately, while I had been involved in uh, university administration for decades and had been uh, pretty good at dealing with the media and was always out in front of things, uh, the Board of Trustees of the university decided they wanted to manage this. And so I offered my resignation very graciously to step aside and let them manage it. But they did not manage it very well. And I, I talk about all these things in the book about how it unfolded. But uh, we became concerned right away when we heard that uh, people might feel this was an issue connected to the university, not just about a former employee. You know, I always had the feeling in the early going of this, Graham, as I followed the story, that it was really um, an organization, meaning Penn State, that was not equipped to deal with something like this. Was I right in that observation? Well, you were certainly right that the Board of Trustees was not equipped uh, to handle something like this. Uh, in a university as complex as Penn State, where we have about 100,000 students on, uh, on 24 campuses, 
48,000 employees. Uh, <laughs> uh, it, we're like a city. We have our own police department and, and uh, a lot of moving parts. The president of the university would manage a crisis of some sort almost every day, and I think I was pretty good at it, but uh, this was the first time that I knew of that the board of trustees, the leaders of the board, decided they wanted to handle this. And there's a you know a little more to the story, I think, as to why why they wanted to. But um, normally, I would have gotten out in front of it and tried to manage it, and certainly uh, to get the truth out there. What was the reason that the board wanted to handle this and not allow it to be in your hands? I think there were some other agendas going on. Uh, as I talk about it in, in the book, uh, I had learned along the way that the newly elected governor of Pennsylvania, Tom Corbett is his name, uh, had told some people that if he was elected governor, he would remove me as president of Penn State. So I think he was advocating for me to be pushed aside. I don't think originally he wanted to go after Joe Paterno, but there were a few members of the Board of Trustees who felt it was time for Joe to go, and they used this as an opportunity to push him out as well, which was quite unfair because, uh, you know, Joe was the greatest coach of all time, in my opinion, a wonderful asset to the university, and we actually had a signed retirement agreement. Joe had planned to retire at the end of the season. He had only three games left to play. Uh, but because he announced his retirement uh, that week, the board got angry that they didn't get a chance to announce it, and instead they fired him effective immediately. And that really caused a firestorm for the university. That That's when things started to get out of hand even more deeply for the board of trustees. They they just didn't handle that very well and made a lot of alumni mad. A lot of our donors were very angry, and, and some fundraising disappeared. Uh, it it got kind of messy. Graham Spanier is with us. He was the president of Penn State University when the sex accusations against assistant football coach Jerry Sandusky came out. I'm going to recommend this book. It's a fascinating read. It's called In the Lion's Den, The Penn State Scandal and a Rush to Judgment. We continue across the country and around the world. We've got you on Sports Byline. Graham Spanier is with us here on Sports Byline. Again, I want you to look at this book. It's called In the Lion's Den, The Penn State Scandal and a Rush to Judgment. He was a president at Penn State when all of this came down. Do you remember the moment, uh, Graham, when you realized that sports and reality and the way things in life are done are not the same thing? <laughs> I mean, because I've been around this business for a long time, and uh, I know two and two is four, but a lot of people try to make it five. Well, you know, this at the time became one of the biggest scandals, let's let's call it, uh, in, a, in the history of, of a university. And it was made into a sports scandal when it really wasn't about sports, only because Jerry Sandusky had been an assistant coach and because Joe Paterno, his name, and, and Joe Paterno, the person, was was brought into it. Um, I had the lead role nationally in many aspects of intercollegiate athletics. I had been perhaps the longest-serving member of the NCAA Board of Directors. I was the first person 
to, under the new constitution of the NCAA, to serve a full term as chair of the board uh, for three years. I chaired their commission on commercialization of athletics. I was uh, the only chair ever of the BCS. Most of your listeners would remember what the BCS was, went on for many years, and was on the ground floor of that, and then until it involved to the current national playoff system, I was the person to come in and review the Fiesta Bowl and, and keep that going. So uh, I don't think there was any other president who was more involved in intercollegiate athletics from about 19, the early 1990s through about 2012, and I still stay in touch with it. But, you know, one of the interesting aspects of this is it, it became a sports story, and much of what was written about it and what the media covered was was uh, tied into sports, even though it, it really wasn't about that. It was about a former employee and the accusations brought against him relating to uh, to abusing children. When you were sentenced by the judge, John uh, Bocabella, uh, he said, why no one made a phone call to the police is beyond me. Why Mr. Sandusky was allowed to continue to use the Penn State facilities is beyond me. What are your answers to those questions? Well, I think the answer is pretty straightforward. It was only because we were never told anything about a crime, about sexual assault, about anything abusive. Uh, I was a child abuse victim myself. I'm a marriage and family therapist and a family sociologist, and I'm the last person on earth who would ever turn a blind eye to any harm to a child, uh, to anybody. Uh, it, 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 I, I'm the kind of person who ran towards fires, not away from fires. I'm an intervener, and had I had the slightest inkling that uh, something was happening that should be pursued further, of course I would have pursued it. And the judge, I think, just made a, a somewhat gratuitous comment because uh, we didn't know then what was being alleged years later. Uh, it would have been a very simple matter to raise it to a higher level of intervention if we had any idea that that was needed. But uh, that was not relayed to me. It's not what Tim Curley heard or Gary Schultz or Joe Paterno. And uh, we, we simply didn't know. And, and the person who presumably saw something, who witnessed this couple of seconds in the shower, who we now know is a former assistant coach, Mike McQuarrie, he never said anything to, to he didn't bring it to our attention. He, he simply mentioned something very vague to Joe Paterno one day, and uh, I'm not sure Joe knew what he was being told or what to do with it, so he passed it on to Tim Curley, and it, it, it went through a chain of people. Uh, it ended up with the head of the second mile, who's a clinical psychologist and a mandated reporter. And I think he testified at my trial that he told Jerry Sandusky, well, if you're going to shower with the kids, just wear a swimsuit. I think you know as well as I do, and you probably heard the same whisperings. It's been suggested how this scandal was not dealt with or ignored was because Penn State wanted to protect its brand. Is that a fair thing to say? Uh, no, that's... That's totally ludicrous. Uh, 
you know, in a university as large and complex as Penn State, with as many people as I mentioned earlier, somebody does something stupid every day. It's just we have 2,000 crime reports a year that go to our police department. And one of the things I talk about in my book is, is all of the other issues that the university was facing at that time that we had to deal with in the media. You can't shy away from bad news. We never did shy away from bad news, and we didn't in this case. Uh, the damage to Penn State from a merchandise uh, standpoint, sales, brands, student admissions, and the impact on scandal on recent graduates, uh, as you look back on it, what was that damage? I think in all of the uh, categories you mentioned, there was a downturn. We we lost some donors. We lost fundraising. Uh, admissions, I don't think, went down, but... Uh, I, I think there was some stigma out there. There was some radioactivity, and certainly uh, our alumni felt it maybe more than anyone, students to a degree, uh, and alumni, because, you know, a university is not like a corporation. And when a corporation has a public relations issue that pops up, it does a series of things. I talk about these in, in my book. Uh, you know, it takes a write-down for the quarter, it takes its loss, it brings in PR consultants, it brings in lawyers, uh, they throw certain leaders under the bus, and then they try to get beyond it. But the stockholders, if you'll accept the term, the stockholders of a university uh, are not there because of financial earnings for the quarter. They are wedded to, the alumni and the students are wedded to Penn State for life. This is their life. It, it, it's their identity. So uh, anyone connected to Penn State took it very hard, and it, it was brutal for all of us. And certainly, you know, we, we learned later that Joe Paterno had lung cancer. Uh, he had I had noticed he'd been coughing a lot during the year, but we, we never thought it could be lung cancer. He went to the doctor, and he died just a matter of weeks later. But I, I think the trauma of all of this hastened his demise. It, it it's, uh, it's just devastating to think of, but it, it was very hard for him. Certainly, it was very hard for me to cope with the aftermath of this, and it's been it's still hard a decade later and you know writing the book was in part to get the truth out as as an accurate historical record but at some level it was also therapy for me <laughs> just to hmm. put it in writing and and to to just get it all out there we got about 2 minutes before we have to break again the media began running various uh, accounts of Penn State's culture as well as the prominence and the power of the football team and also Paterno himself within it. I wondered, uh, from somebody that was on the inside, did you see these reports as fair because you've been associated with sports and you know what sports can be like on college campuses, the tail that wags the dog? Well, I, I think the, the media reports were very hyperbolic. They were There was some accurate reporting. There were good reporters, and then there were bad reporters who were so eager to, uh, eager to use terms like you heard it here first, or exclusive, or late-breaking. 
there, there was a, a media frenzy, and I, I have a chapter in the book called Media Culpa, which talks about the whole media phenomenon. And I call some of the reporters out for their bad, inaccurate reporting, for, for uh, receiving leaks from prosecutors or people in the attorney general's office and not checking them out, not checking out their motives, not looking for a second source, and just running with it. So, you know, I under, understand the, the media attention. We had to close off a street for satellite trucks, and there were hordes of reporters all over the place. We, Many of us, particularly me and Joe Paterno, we were being stalked. Joe Paterno's house was was being staked out 24 hours a day, around the clock. It it was a very tense time. It it was what you might see in a really bad movie when they want to portray reporters badly, <laughs> yelling and screaming questions and following people around. It it was a tough time. Again, the name of this book is called In the Lion's Den, The Penn State Scandal and a Rush to Judgment. The author is Graham Spanier. He was the president of Penn State when sex accusations against assistant football coach Jerry Sandusky came down, and he talks about it very candidly. He also talks about what it was like to be incarcerated for a couple of months and about the judicial system and how things are handled in that way. I recommend this book to you. It's a fascinating read. It'll give you a lot of information and insight on what happened at Penn State. We continue with more of you and Sports Byline. Graham Spanier has joined us as we continue across the country and around the world on Sports Byline. I want you to check out his book. It's called In the Lion's Den, The Penn State Scandal and a Rush to Judgment. What was the one thing during all of this that you've gone through that bothers you the most, Graham? I think what what bothers me the most is that uh, when this got started, it was, I liken it to a locomotive starting up very slowly and gradually it picks up speed and nobody's strong enough or smart enough or willing enough to slow it down so people just kind of jump on it and it just keeps going and going and people get thrown under the wheels Joe Paterno, me, (laughs) Tim Curley, Gary Schultz and and dozens of other employees at, at the university who had a relationship to one or the other of us. And so what, what, what's very disappointing and a lesson you learn is that while I have received thousands of emails and, and notes and visits from supporters uh, who know me and know none of this was fair, it, it's very, um, very enlightening, let's say, to watch people who know better but don't seem to have the ability uh, or the willingness to to refute it. They they would just rather accept the media narrative. They would jump to conclusions. They, people don't realize that while Jerry Sandusky uh, was rushed to trial, and that there are, are some doubts about what what some of the uh, uh, victims have said. Um, he, he was rushed to trial, but he was found not guilty on the key incident that ties it to Penn State. He was found not guilty on the three charges that relate to what unfolded for those of us in the administration of the university. Uh, there's just a lot of things that, uh, that people would have to 
to read this book to understand the whole picture and to realize that things can get out of hand very quickly with public perception and, of course, the the media that puts things before them, as, as, as good a job as the media might be trying to do. I believe that, that most of these, most reporters, they want to get the story straight, but it may not happen. I, I also talk in the book, uh, uh, in the media chapter, about all of the efforts that some journalists who know they got it wrong and have wanted to go back and fix the narrative, they have not been allowed to do so by their editors or by higher-ups in the, in the company. Uh, there's some very interesting stories uh, in that domain as well. You know, it's interesting you bring that up because I've said this for a very long time. I remember when reporting on sports went from reporting to what actually happened to an entertainment vehicle. And I think you're talking about the same thing, when people that are making decisions about particular stories and if they happen to know or might think that the uh, information isn't false, uh, isn't right, then they're going to go back and still leave it where it is. And I think that's the difference in society and the difference in journalism today. Would you agree? I, I agree. Um, you know, I uh, there's a, a guy who won the, the Fred Friendly Award. Uh, he's a, a broadcaster for, for CBS News. And uh, in his speech where he won the award, I, I reference this in my book, he said, you know, if you're the first to report and you got it wrong, nobody's ever going to remember that you were first, but they will always remember that you got the story wrong. And I think what's great about your show is you put people on the air and you ask them tough questions, but you let them say what they believe and what they're thinking. And you're not out there spreading false narratives just because you've jumped to a conclusion. Yeah, well, I have no right to make a conclusion on most of the stories. Uh, let the people talk and, and say what they, you know, what they do know as well. This book is more than just about the Penn State situation. Uh, there was a wider aspect to it, and that was the infamous Pennsylvania porn gate uh, scandal. Well, explain what that was about. Yeah, well, in the chapter that I call Porngate and the Keystone Cops, <laughs> some of your older <laughs> listeners will remember the, the Keystone Cops. Um, what happened is that most of the people who came after me, who said negative things about Joe Paterno, who charged our athletic director and our vice president, were later caught up in a pornography scandal, a pornography ring being run out of the attorney general's office. So the, the prosecutor who started all of this and came after me, uh, he, was, he lost his license to practice law. The Pennsylvania Supreme Court took it away. He was at the center of the, the pornography ring. We're not just talking about a few images or a few videos. We're talking about tens of thousands being sent to judges, prosecutors, attorneys, uh, the, the head of the attorney general's office here locally who was involved and oversaw this he was involved he lost his job the general counsel who who uh, uh, lied and told lots of untruths mistruths uh, before the grand jury which a year after this all unfolded led to me being charged and all of those charges by the way were later thrown out 
She was censured by the Pennsylvania Supreme Court. The attorney general who was elected on a platform of straightening all this out, she got crossways with the people running the Porngate ring, and they turned on her, and she was sentenced to five years in prison, uh, served about two and a half years, as I recall, uh, before she was let out. It is fascinating that so many of the people who came after me and others uh, themselves conspired to break laws and at the or at the very least let's put it this way to engage in unethical practices that eventually were called out and came back to uh, uh, to affect them uh, you served two months at the county jail followed by two months of house arrest how did that affect you what did you see from that perspective of something that you would never normally see yeah it, it was I mean, think about how unbelievable this is, that uh, a 73-year-old man who has metastasized cancer, who was just recovering from open-heart surgery, who never broke a law in his life, um, who is the president of the largest employer in the area and a a public figure uh, who is, you know, greatly respected, gets all of the charges, is either found not guilty on all of the charges or has them thrown out and overturned, and a federal court overturns them. But then, due to what I argue is a conflict of interest at the federal uh, appellate court level, the person who gets the case and writes the opinion is the former colleague of the former attorney general and a former governor in Pennsylvania, who vowed to get me out of office. So what I'm saying is that there are there were just serious problems in the judicial system. It was all thrown out, but then one misdemeanor reinstated that forced me, as you say, to spend two months in a jail and two months under house arrest. And what I say about that, it was an absolutely horrible experience, but an absolutely educational experience. I took my I took two things in there with me my own grief about the fact that this was happening to me uh but also my role in life as an academic as a sociologist and in the last chapter of my book which is called incarceration I talk very candidly about a person like me being in jail or prison with everyone else who was younger, some of them in there for good reasons, some of them in there not for good reasons. And I, I talk about these people and how it has really changed my view of the system of incarceration in this country, of the flaws in the legal system. And I can tell you this, and I say it in the book, there are no corrections going on in the corrections system. Uh, And part of what I want to do in the future is be an advocate for reform, because I've seen it up close and personal. I know everybody listening to this interview around the country and around the world are going to sound, uh, well, say, I should say, how did this man survive all of this? I mean, you were the least likely person, as you already pointed out, to, to do something that would break the law. How did you survive this, Graham? I survived it, first of all, because I have a very supportive family. 
uh, an incredibly and extensive supporter of friends and colleagues. And I, I think I conducted myself in my career uh, in a way that, that people knew who I was and wanted to be supportive. And, and that just meant so much to me. Um, so it, it really, and, and I talk in the book about, you know, some individuals who just came out of the woodwork, most of whom I've known, but many who I didn't know. And, and if I ever felt depressed, and I did, um, I realized early on I could just go to the grocery store and, it, you know, to get a carton of milk, which would normally take five minutes, and I would be there for an hour. It would be like a receiving line. And for someone like me, that just made a world of difference in my life and my ability to cope and and uh, kept kept me feeling that, you know, I I was valued, and uh, uh, it, it that that was that was a good part of it. That was the silver lining of uh, just getting so much support from so many people. The name of the book is In the Lions, Dan, and I'm just wondering, Graham, what do you want readers to take away from the book? I, I would like them to to read the book start reading the book with an open mind and believe that everything in there is fully documented. This is not just me giving an opinion. It's it's documented. It is my personal memoir about what happened. But I, I would want them to, to, above anything else, say that, that in our society today, we should have a commitment to the truth. And, and you know, that that in this case, there is a truth out there. Uh, there's a lot of things that people might not know, things that they will learn, and and I, I hope they will believe what they read and perhaps rethink any early impressions that they might have developed of, about it all. Are there any lessons learned, not for you just personally, but just for society in general because of this story? Oh, I, I think so. Um, I'm going to be doing maybe three dozen speaking engagements around the country, book talks, signings. Uh, media appearances. And, and one of the things I, I hope I'll get questions about and I hope to talk about is um, what lessons do you learn? Uh, you know, now, 20, 25 years later, uh, we have a heightened awareness in our society about even the uh, appearance or the slightest hint or accusation of, of, uh, of child abuse. Uh, and so, uh, you know, you, you might have heard 25 years ago that somebody was taking a shower and you wouldn't think, oh, shower. Yeah, we all take showers. And in, in universities, you know, people take showers together. You know, and when, when I went to high school, we actually had swimming class once a week and the boys weren't, weren't even given swimsuits. It was a different era. Nowadays, there's heightened sensitivities. And so, of course, anybody who sees anything or has the slightest hint it's a simple matter to tell someone, pick up the phone, report it to someone, let it be checked out. Don't, don't let anything go over your head. Certainly that's, that's one lesson to be learned. But another lesson to be learned is don't jump to conclusions, everybody. You know, we should live in a society now that has the ability to ferret out actual wrongdoing. You know, if, if somebody is engaged in abuse or any other kind of crime, we should live in a society that has the ability to discipline that person in some way, but without throwing innocent people under the bus just because 
we have moral panic, and uh, we we think that we have to make it into a bigger story or to bring more people into it than should really be the case. Well, congratulations on the book. I'm looking forward to reading it, and it's a powerful story, no doubt about it, and it's a message that needs to be said in the days and the times that we live in. I want to thank you for writing it. I want to thank you for joining me, and you're welcome back here anytime, Graham, on Sports Byline. Thank you, Ron. Always feel free to call anytime. Graham Spanier with us, and again, the name of this book is called In the Lion's Den, The Penn State Scandal and a Rush to Judgment. He was the president at Penn State University when everything came down with Jerry Sandusky and the sex accusations. We continue with more of you and Sports Byline. 